So, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Vesa. I work for Rovio. And today I'm going to talk about how we use machine learning to acquire, retain, and monetize users. Um, it would be interesting to know how many of you guys work in gaming industry. Can I see some hands? So, more than half of you. Okay. So, I guess if you haven't heard what Rovio is, you may have heard our, about our most famous game, which is Angry Birds, turning 10 years, next, 10 years old. Next year, we'll have a new movie out and all kinds of nice stuff. The company is quite old for a mobile gaming company. We were founded in 2003 as a student project. We are about 400 people now. So today's agenda, I'll first talk a little bit about what's live operations in mobile games, because the machine learning stuff I'm going to talk about is going to be related to that. And then we'll look a little bit at how we manage data flows in Rovio, and look at three different machine learning cases. And finally, we check how we actually take those machine learning uh, predictions into production and do something useful with them. So live operations. Uh, nowadays, when a mobile company comes out with a new game, it's usually kind of starts with a soft launch, which is a kind of test run. You just release a game for a very small market, and you are prepared to do a lot of tweaking and changes. And you follow closely how many players keep playing the game, and if you are making any money. And then if you manage to hit your target so that it looks like that game might actually survive in real market, then you move on to phase two. You launch it globally. And then it looks like nowadays you have to run events to so that you can keep the players you have in the game engaged longer and interested in the game. And of course, you are running player support all the time, uh, taking in bug tickets and concerns and trying to keep the game team informed, like what are the things that the players are worrying about or might not like about the game. And one big part is user acquisition. So if you want to get players into your game, in practice, you have to run advertisement campaigns for your game. And it would be very nice if the price of those advertisements were less than the money you get out of the users that you get into your own game. Otherwise, you are not doing a very good business. And sometimes, if we get really lucky, we actually manage to operate the game so that every month on month we get more users, we get better revenue for the game. So the life cycle can be really long. For some games, there's no end, end in sight for us, but of course, it's not always so lucky. And then it's maybe not fair to group all that stuff under live operations. We have games out that being kind of rebuilt and they look very different from what they were when they were originally launched, but that's one way to success as well. All right, about data in Rovio. 
So these are the three main things we consider when we try to do any kind of data flow. Uh, single truth, so if we query our analytics data, or our game server data, or our ads data, and want to know how many new users we had yesterday, we would be very happy to get the same answer from all of those different databases. In practice, that never happens, but we really try hard to make it as, as good, good as possible and understand the differences. Secondly, sharing is caring. So we try to make the data available to everybody in the company uh, as far as it's legally possible. So if your um, neighboring game team just ran some really interesting event and you want to figure out like how did it actually go and uh, what happened there, you can just go and take a look. It's all there. And finally, own our future. So we want to have kind of own our data so that we can do whatever analytics we want on it and not be in a situation where we have the data in some third-party system and maybe somebody comes and buys that third-party company and then we have about three months to do half of our analytics from scratch. But okay, in this presentation, I'll show how it's all built upon Amazon platform so you can decide if we are doing good with this or not. And then <coughs> two more background slides. So Beacon is the platform we offer to the game teams. Uh, it consists of plenty of kind of different things. One is client SDK. So it makes easy for the game to talk to our services like payment services and session management and that kind of stuff. Then we, of course, also operate those actual services and run analytics so you can get your charts and reports and they are all available in your app web page. Um, and then you can easily customize the player experience. So you want to have, for example, set certain users from certain region having a little bit different experience, you can do that. And of course, also the same thing can be used for A-B testing. So here's how the analytics data flows into our system. If you checked out the Supercell presentation earlier, you'll find a lot of familiar stuff and some things that are a little bit different. Um, so the mobile client sends analytics events that the game team defines to our event gateway, and all that stuff is pushed to Kafka queue. And the client also talks to our services, and those services send analytics events to the same gateway, and they go also into Kafka. This is all in top of EC2. And then from Kafka, we dump all that data into our data lake, which is on S3. And at this point, we enforce schemas, so we actually know what data we have and where, which I think should make the analyst's life much easier. And it's also very, very nice when something like GDPR comes up and we actually need to know what stuff we have and where it is. And for this part, we use Secor uh, to actually read the data from Kafka and dump it to S3 and then process it with Spark and Hive. So easy to do an EMR. 
Um, and my manager has, uh, uh, my manager had a presentation about this last year. So if you are interested, you can find the details in, in the YouTube video, which should be up. Okay, now we have all of our events in our data lake, so then we try to refine the results. So we calculate this number of users and other KPIs with Redshift and also player profiles, which I'm going to talk a little bit more detail, are created with Redshift. Uh, then more advanced analytics and machine learning stuff is uh, running on Athena, Presto, Spark, R, Python, all of that stuff is in production, so you can kind of pick your poison. And uh, all the dashboards are connected to the data lake, so we can get whatever we need from there. And then the real-time data comes from Kafka and is processed by Apache Flink, mostly running on EMR, but we are not going to go into any detail about that. So, player profiles. That's the basis for most of our player modeling and machine learning stuff I'm going to present today. And it's basically simple demographics, aggregates, and events. Stuff like how much time this player spent last month and what country is he from, what kind of device is he using. Um, and when we could compute this stuff in Redshift, we push it to the data lake, but we also push it to other databases that are more closer to production use and can respond to events quicker, so Cassandra and DynamoDB. And these profiles, the games, game teams have an option to add whatever stuff they want there. Uh, but, uh, okay, that's a different topic again. Let's not go into that. So the first machine learning thing we tried was player churn. So churn means that your customer stops using your product. Uh, I'll give a little bit more exact definition soon. And the question is, of course, uh, if we can predict that the player is going to stop playing our game, can we do something about it? And this was the first end-to-end machine learning solution that was uh, implemented over the whole game portfolio. And this is how we define churn for this problem. So this is kind of geared towards more dedicated players. They've already been playing at least two weeks. And then we have two weeks of time kind of reserved for us to do something about that player behavior. So we are not using it for modeling anything. And then after that, we look if we, if we still see that player he is not churned. If we don't see him, we considered him churned. And the machine learning training setup is pretty traditional. So you extract your features from, from your database. You fit them to some model. And when you have your model, then you can take the last two weeks of data for any player and try to figure out what's going to happen in a month. Is, are we going to see him anymore? And we tried to make this project as a template for other machine learning stuff in our company. So 
we tried to do agile continuous integration all the code and the models would go straight to production and everything would wo work end to end so you could actually do something with those predictions and we would automatically monitor the modeling accuracy daily and we chose to do a very simple data flow so that it would be a kind of good template for other stuff they could build something more complex if they needed to, but this would be a good starting point. And for this problem, it shows gradient boosted trees because they are very easy to use and they are computationally reasonably fast. We don't need to do much fancy stuff with the features. You can basically feed, just feed them in and we also get a little bit insight on how the model works by looking what, what are the importances of the different features we are feeding into it. And this is how the data flow was implemented. So each game has its own model. We run an EMR cluster with Spark that pulls the profiles from S3, runs the modeling and pushes the models back to the data lake. And also then the dashboards are connected to the data lake and they query the results from Athena or Presto and show them in our beacon web pages. For the actual prediction, it's very similar, just running Spark on EMR, pulling the models and profiles from the data lake. Then we push the results to our player experience customization service, which is backed by Cassandra database. And for this example, it's really simple. So we just append this churn score to the profiles we already have. And here's an example. We did an A-B test. All the players that had churn score higher than 0 0.6, we would show them one extra advertisement for one of our games. And also all the other ads that were part of normal game flow would be for our own games. And then we checked the results, so it seemed to work nicely. We got 27% more users to our new game, and the source game didn't lose any more players than we would have lost otherwise, so that's, that's a nice result. So some thoughts about how we set this up. So it was all done in very generic features. There's no game-specific stuff there. Of course, that makes it easy to deploy for any game we want. Uh, you could ask that are we taking a hit on accuracy because we are not using anything that the game engine would provide for that specific game. And we did some experimentation with this. and. Based on that, um, it pretty much works, or we didn't see any benefit of using like this game-specific features. Of course, you can always try more combinations and different things, but right now we are quite happy with this generic approach. And this was set up to model dedicated players that have been playing for two weeks, so we can run a batch process like just calculate the score daily, that's good enough. There's been talk inside the company that they want the churn score for a player that's only been playing for one minute. So obviously this kind of setup won't work in that case at all. 
we need to do something different for that. And our player support guys wanted to try, like, when they get tickets in, they would want to see the churn score, so maybe they would reply a little bit differently if they knew that the guy was leaving the game or if he was going to stick around for a long time. Uh, turns out that all the players that actually contact the player support are really dedicated and had very low churn scores, so it validates that the model seems to work fine, but it was useless for the player support team because didn't give any extra information, so we are not doing that. Okay, another machine learning problem we tried was predicting player spending. So we get a new player in, we want to know is he going to do some purchases in, the, in our games or not, and can we, should we do something about the game experience if, if we know how he's going to behave. And for this problem, we used neural networks. I'm not sure if I can say deep. It's two layers, long, short-term memory units. Uh, features were 30 last days of player profiles, and then the prediction was just simply, will this guy spend money or not? Uh, data flow is pretty simple to the last one, so we used Presta to pull the profiles from the data lake and do a little bit transformation. Then uh, TensorFlow, Kerason single EMR master instance to actually run the prediction, and the results were pushed back to the data lake to the customization service and to our ad partners. What that means, for example, Facebook has something called look-like audiences, so you can say that uh, we know that these guys are interesting to us. Can, we, can you show our advertisement to similar people? So that's what we tried. Well, it turns out that if we build a look-like audience, we ask Facebook, this, these guys are, we know that they've already spent money, give us more guys like this. It works better than this prediction, so so it wasn't useful in that case, and we are still figuring how we can change the in-game experience to take advantage of this, present, of this prediction. So it was kind of back to the drawing board with this one. Uh, the objectives changed a little bit, and also the model, we changed it to random forest. Again, it's computationally uh, pretty light, and easy to use, so that was quicker to modify that stuff. And we do two predictions. Is the guy going to be a spender? How much is he going to spend? And we are going to try to evaluate our ads campaigns. So when we run a campaign and we get the first users in, we would try to figure out are those profitable users for us or not before they actually start spending money and also improve how we show our own cross-promotion ads. But this is ongoing work, so I don't have good results to show yet about this. And here's the third machine learning problem, predicting game install propensity. So that means if you have a player and we show him an ad, we would like to guess if he's likely to ac actually install the game we show the ad for. 
And if we know that it's pretty likely he's not going to install that game, then we probably should be doing something else than showing that ad. Setup is like this. So we get this ads event. We know that the player saw an ad. Uh, then we monitor, do we get a click event? And does it actually lead to an install of the game we are running the cross-promo advertisement for? And we have models for a couple of our games. So it's a separate model for each target game. Features are player profile, source game, and where the ads was shown. And you can see at the slide what were the important features. Some of them are pretty obvious. It's, of course, important to know what game he was playing when he saw the ad and how much time he has spent in that game. But there's something less intuitive there too, like time zone. That seems to be a really important indication indicator on what kind of game the player might actually like, or how likely he is to install a game, I guess, too. Uh, here we were running Random Forest Classifier, again with Spark, MLlib, and sounds familiar fit the model weekly and score the players daily. And Random Forest, again, same reason. They are accurate, easy to train, and integrate. Uh, give nice results. Uh, in this case, we also played with logic, uh, logistic regression. And we got the same accuracy, just needed to fiddle with the features a little bit more. So we stuck with the random forests in the production. They were easy and nice to use. And actually, the first model we did was, again, deep neural network with player profiles. And they were augmented with actual events. The, game engine was sending to the analytics pipeline. And this was the most accurate model. Unfortunately, it was also really expensive to run. Just combining the player profiles and finding the features was pretty heavy. And then running the actual neural network training and prediction was quite expensive and didn't fit very well to our data flow. So there wasn't really a good business case to use this for reals. And this is how we do it in production. So when player starts a game session, the mobile client goes and asks, <coughs> tells our ad service that, OK, I need some ad videos in case the player wants to see them. And the ad service says that, OK, go and download these video files from CloudFront. And that's what the client does. And how ad service decides which videos it tells the client to Download is based on four things. So first thing is this install propensity we were talking about. And that's stored in DynamoDB because we need to pull up the value for each player for every time we get this session initialization event. Uh, then we have really crude estimates for player lifetime value. So basically, this user comes from this country and uses this type of device. So we estimate this worth on average this much to us. And it's obvious that we should try the spender value prediction here, but we don't really have very good results. Or, or I mean, we haven't run good enough experiments that we can actually say something definite 
about that. And then, of course, we need to know what ad campaigns we run ourselves. Those are in RDS and what kind of third-party ads we could be showing. And we tried an A-B test. Final conversion rate means like what percentage of the users actually went through the whole process and actually started playing the new game. And it's a really low percentage. I'm just showing the relative values here. It's about 35% improvement over the baseline. So again, we are quite happy with that result. Um, and the last part of the talk, um, how we actually built the system that customizes the game experience for the players based on these predictions. Uh, so here's a kind of dummy example showing how you set the rules. So this is for Black Friday 2016, it seems. Uh, targeting the players that have at least one purchase during the last 120 days. You can do much more complex rules, but this is basically how you configure the customization service. And how this stuff works is you start your game session, the client goes and asks for a few configs game assets, game setup, and then this ads config. And all those services go to this customization service, which is backed by these player profiles in Cassandra and this, these rules that we just saw how, this, how they are set. Um, and when the client gets the configs, it gets whatever it needs from CloudFront, and the game is all set to go. And this is configured with the Beacon platform tools. Another thing we can do, we can do push notifications. So for example, if we see that we have a guy who has played all the 10 last events in a game, we might think that maybe he wants to know that we have a new one coming up today. So we can configure that kind of rule and push master service will go and ask Restore Athena to pull players from data like that to match the rules and for whom we should send the push notification. And compass the list of the players, uh, puts those messages in a Kafka queue, and then has the worker pool to push those to third party gateways. So Google push gateway, iOS, Apple push gateway, and that stuff. And eventually it will show up in the mobile client. So some thoughts about technical implementation. So this all has been built in pretty low level AWS services, especially this customization part. The reason is that we've been working on this quite a long time. So this, most of the basics were already built before there was kind of any alternatives by ourselves. Um, and one weakness we still have here, we are working towards making things more real-time. Uh, we can handle real-time events. We get player profiles. Now we get them daily. We are working on getting them every hour. But it's still work in progress. And we cannot react to events as they come in with machine learning yet. But that's something we will be working on. Uh, then some thoughts on the machine learning that we did here. So 
the first churn stuff was supposed to be really good, nice template that other people could use. We built it using Maven archetypes for Java and Spark, which turned out not to be a very popular choice with the data guys. They like their Jupyter and Python. So yeah, next time we'll do it differently. Uh, uh, then we had people very interested in deep neural networks and deep learning. So for these two other projects, we actually first built quite complex model and spent a lot of time optimizing them and ended up using decision trees at the end. So I guess the lesson there is that it's a good idea to start with the simple stuff first. You get your predictions on the pipeline. You have people who have been asking for those predictions, but when they actually see the numbers and start implementing stuff, they might realize that what they asked for is not exactly what they want. And if you have a simple model, it's quick to go back and change it and give them what they need. If you spend a month tuning your model and then you need to start doing changes, that's not quite as nice. And also when you start with simple models, you start understanding what's the business value to you. So can you afford to run uh, GPU farms every day for, for a quite long period of time? Are you getting the value back from doing that? Or is it actually better to use a little bit simpler models and get almost as good results? But there's definitely value in doing this deep learning. We want to understand what, where it can get us. I'm just saying that you might want to consider the order and do the simple thing first. And you might have noticed that I haven't this far said the word SageMaker. Uh, reason is, again, we started doing all this stuff before SageMaker was available. So we kind of had all the deployment stuff and integration and everything done. That being said, I'm trying to see all the SageMaker sessions I can here, and we'll see where we are next year. Uh, then some other thoughts in machine learning. So what I showed you were kind of big data ads, user acquisition type of things. We would also like to investigate, or we've been kind of toying with some stuff, how we can do game development and aid it with machine learning. So for example, when a level designer comes up with a level and he thinks it's a certain level of difficulty, it would be nice to have a few bots to verify that the difficulty is actually such that it was designed for. And same for game QA. Uh, it would be nice to, when we make some changes, to have bots play the game and report back to us if something funny, funny is going on there, something unexpected. An interesting question is, can we create content automatically, levels, graphics, characters? Well, for sure we can, but can we do it in interesting levels and interesting graphics? Um, 
Yeah, level design is, is, is an art form, so I'm not 100% convinced where we can get with this, but for sure we are going to try. And if we can do that, then it would be interesting to run automated A-B tests all the time. You generate your best, your levels, pick the best ones out of those, and continuously run your game and try which work best with the users. Uh, seems like I was hurrying up, so we come already to the last slide. So thank you all for your time. And please complete the session survey in the mobile app. And I think we have time for questions if we have any. That's a very good question. So in the, we were very early users of Athena. And at that point, there were times when the uh, performance was a little bit unpredictable. So for something we needed a response in a certain time frame, and it would be a big trouble if that wouldn't happen. We actually were running our own Presto cluster because then we had absolute control of the process. That's, uh, well, the easy answer is historical reasons. Uh, also, as far as I understand, I'm, I'm not SageMaker expert, but it seems a lot of the stuff they offer actually uses under the hood very similar tools that we are using directly. So the benefit for the using SageMaker for us would be like the pre-made integration and model deployments and that stuff, and maybe not as much the raw training of the model and like the algorithm side. But okay, yeah, I have to say that I'm not SageMaker expert yet, so I, that's might not be a fair statement, but that's where we are now. So the first question was, uh, sorry, I missed. Yeah, for example, all these uh, uh, rules that how do you want to run your A-B test or how do you want to have the game experience for different regions or segmentations, exactly. That's the main, main use case. And then how do we get the profiles to 
DynamoDB and Cassandra, we basically use Redshift and Dump, the users that we see in last two weeks into S3, and then we just push them from S3 to these databases. And it's an excellent question that we have had to do some performance tricks there to actually make it work so that we don't have any troubles with the service. Yeah, we, we built this stuff again fairly long time ago, so there wasn't really ready-made solutions for us. We are not looking to implement everything by ourselves, but sometimes there's no options. So. so I guess we are all done. Thank you.